The following is a sermon that was preached at Good News Lutheran Church in Mount Horeb, Wisconsin. It was preached on Sunday, April 25th, 2021, on the basis of John chapter 10, verses 11 through 18. For more information or to view our entire sermon library, visit goodnewslc.org. Thank you for listening. I would assume or guess that most of you are at least somewhat familiar with the term sheeple. If you've never heard it before, it's a stinging combo of the words sheep and people. If you have heard it before, if it's a regular part of your everyday vocabulary, then you have a man named William Cooper to thank, or Bill Cooper. Bill Cooper was one of the original conspiracy-slinging radio talk show hosts of the late 80s, early 90s. And, on his, and he would begin many episodes of his program, The Hour of the Time, with the blaring sound of an alarm clock and the declaration, Wake up, sheeple! Before he would serve them a well-balanced breakfast of cold, hard speculation about everything from the UFOs under the White House to how much ammo you need to stock for the coming claps. Wake up, sheeple. It's an insult. And at the same time, it's also an encouragement for you to consider the things that sort of go against the status quo, that go against the norm. And so as much as you may roll your eyes or cringe a little bit when you hear the term sheeple, the the language lover in me can't help but applaud the thought that went into it because it's just so precise. I think the first two things that we learn about sheep as kids is one, they're fluffy, and two, they go bah. The third thing that you probably learn is that they're very stupid animals. And that's simply not true. In fact, in terms of intelligence, sheep actually rank just below pigs, which are very bright animals. Instead, the problem that sheep have, which seems fairly obvious, is that they're pretty defenseless animals. And so they understand that their best bet for survival is to flock together. Their strength is in numbers. So much so that they will willingly march single file into the slaughterhouse rather than hop out of line alone. You know, everybody wants to talk about the lone wolf, but the lone sheep is far braver and almost unheard of. So when we take that term sheeple, we, we, we can obviously see how it really accurately captures the mind of a sheep. But it also, in that regard, really captures human nature as well. I mean, to a certain extent, all of us are, are sheeple, and I don't say that as an insult. I'm, I'm a shirson myself. And so I say that because we all have these influences that we allow into our lives for no other reason than that they make us feel good or that, or that we, we like the way they sound. And they impact how we view the world. They impact kind of the person we are, whether that's chemical dependency or or your favorite YouTuber, or your least favorite politician, or the website that you do the most scrolling on, or even the church that you sit in on Sunday, these outside forces are constantly shaping who you are and where you're going in life. And so for our own safety, because of those things, we tend to flock together with other like-minded people, with other people who share those same interests, who have those same shepherds, if you will. And so in the midst of all these potential shepherds, we understand that we need one who is truly good. A shepherd who knows us. 
A shepherd who, who, who can tell the difference between a sheep and a natural predator and who knows what to do with each of them. A, sheep, or a shepherd who is more interested in the well-being of the flock than himself. That good shepherd is Jesus who makes that claim for himself. And what makes the good shepherd truly good takes every other, every other potential shepherd out of the discussion because he proves himself responsible by standing up to the wolves. And he proves himself selfless by laying down his life for the sheep. But before we get into all that, I want you to really recognize the power in Jesus' opening statement when he says, I am the good shepherd. It was hardly a humble claim for Jesus to make for himself when King David, a thousand years before, had already proclaimed in the psalm that we read for this morning, the Lord is my shepherd. And then David goes on in that familiar psalm to show us a shepherd who most of us would describe as good. He's a shepherd that makes sure that David lacks nothing. He, he, he leads him beside quiet waters, into green pastures, in paths of righteousness and through the valley of the shadow of death without fear. And if David, the king of Israel, the shepherd of God's people, is able to say this, then it's clear that the good shepherd is not just somebody with a staff. It's the Lord. Capital L-O-R-D. The Lord. It's God. And so the only way that Jesus' statement here can be without contradiction is if Jesus and the Lord are one and the same. And they are. Jesus was God, and he, he, he said that. He did not shy away from letting people know that. And so maybe that's obvious to us as Christians. But there are many shepherds all around us, even within the church, who will try to tell you that Jesus was not God and that he never claimed to be God. And that's a lie. He definitely made that claim. And those who would have you believe that lie are perfect examples of those, those wolves that Jesus is talking about. Whether they're acting on instinct or whether they're acting out of malice, their end goal is to take the sheep away from the shepherd and to feed themselves. They can walk in the middle of the flock masquerading as, as one of us, masquerading as the shepherd himself. But the two dead giveaways for a wolf in our midst is they always seek to lead, they never seek to follow. They always want to lead the flock, but never want to follow the shepherd. Christian leadership is important. God called us to be leaders in the church. He called leaders, he called teachers, he called pastors. All those things are important. But what makes a Christian leader truly Christian is that they lead the flock where the shepherd takes them. And yet in a time, on the other hand, in a time when when your religious affiliation has been downgraded to the status of a hobby, and when our personal interests approach religious levels of devotion, we find many of those wolves Jesus is talking about standing just outside the flock, right on the edge, just close enough to catch our eye, just interesting enough for the, some of the sheep to wander over and, and try to check it out. So now instead of remaining one cohesive unit, the flock is stretched out in all directions and whether you're stretched out this way or stretched out that way, the sheep are no closer to the shepherd. The Christians are no closer to Jesus. It's these wolves 
that have Christians at each other's throats over things like politics or social issues or, or hobbies or habits or a million other things that have no bearing on the sin and the Savior that unite us. As if somebody else couldn't possibly be a Christian, if they couldn't possibly be following the good shepherd unless they're also following all the other shepherds I've set up in my mind. They couldn't possibly be following the good shepherd unless they're a Republican. They couldn't possibly be following the good shepherd unless they're a Democrat. And that's the problem. We make those wolves into shepherds in our own minds, alongside Jesus. And we're hurting ourselves and we're, di- we're dividing the flock when we do that. It is more than okay to have your own interests. It is more than okay to be unique. That uniqueness brings a lot to the church. But just think, if I've appointed any of these things, any of these interests or hobbies or, or personal opinions as co-shepherds to Jesus, which one of them is more likely to inflate my ego and make me prideful? Which of my interests is going to, to make me put myself in a separate camp from other Christians? And which of those shepherds am I going to abandon first when given the choice? The one that, that I chose that, that feeds into my sense of self or the one that chose me? whose direction is always good, but often unpleasant. Sounds obvious. And so that's why Jesus' biggest beef is with the hired hands that he talks about, because these are the, these are the men and women who are called to be leaders, to be shepherds, and yet they're the embodiment of, I don't get paid enough to do this. They'll let you wander off without warning and without correction because it's safer for them and it's more pleasant for you right up until you wander away from the flock for the last time and get devoured by the wolves. And they won't confront, either out of laziness or apathy or fear, they won't confront those wolves either because after all, it's just a job. And whether you're dealing with a wolf or a hired hand, the bottom line is that they don't care about you. And you find those things out when life gets tough or dangerous, or even awkward. Because if a pastor is not chasing down his people when he sees them wandering, if he's not investing himself in their, in their spiritual well-being of his congregation, even when it isn't pleasant, if he's not willing to become an unpopular man for their sake, then he's not being a shepherd. If you didn't know the word pastor actually means shepherd, their job is to tend to the flock, not for their own sake, but for the safety of the sheep and for the benefit of the one who owns the sheep. If he's not doing any of those things, then he's self-serving and he's self-preserving. He's not in it for you or your soul. He's in it for the paycheck and the popularity, as if he has a secret deal with, with the wolves where they can snatch away and, and devour as many sheep as they want so long as they leave him in peace. And the good shepherd hates it. But what makes the good shepherd truly good is evident simply in who he is. In Jesus, we find a man who is claiming to be God and gaining nothing from it. We can look at somebody like, like the psalmist, David, 
the shepherd boy who became king, who was taken out of the pasture and dressed in royalty. And in Jesus, we find a man, a king, who is standing in the midst of peasants, dressed in the dirty clothes of a common man, often without a roof over his head, who has made himself the shepherd. David was called a man after God's own heart, a man who loved God, a man who God loved, and yet so so often, on more than one occasion, David showed hostile disregard for God's people, for the flock. In Jesus, we find a shepherd whose standards are not his own, but the Father's, who is only meeting his own desires because his desires are those of the God who sent him. So his leadership may not always be pleasant for the whole flock. But know that Jesus also took many unpleasant roads himself for the sake of the flock because it was what the Father demanded. And as you consider your shepherds, the shepherds you set up in your life, look for the one whose plans are not his own and whose concern is for us alone. And you will find that shepherd only in Jesus. William Cooper, who I mentioned at the beginning of this sermon, didn't see himself as one of the sheep, or sheeple, rather. He was a man who forged his own path, who really practiced what he preached, so fervently, in fact, that in November of 2001, he he was killed in a shootout with the police who had come to arrest him. And he had vowed previously, uh, publicly, that he would not be taken alive. In this sense the shepherd had laid down his life. But for what? Not for his followers, not for his listeners, not for glory. I mean, there's something to be said for being willing to give up your life for your principles, of course, no matter how wacky they may be. But ultimately, the shepherd William Cooper died for himself. And of course he did. That was the whole premise of what he taught. His, his whole thing was that he could, he could warn you. He could speak to you. He could, he could give you all the information you'd ever need to be prepared for doomsday. But in the end, it was every man for himself. But what does Jesus say? What's the follow-up to his claim? He says, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And this is how you verify the claim of a good shepherd. It's not simply that Jesus laid down his life for what he believes in, but that what Jesus believed in and what he had come to do was to lay, it led him to lay down his life for you. Whenever Jesus may have said this words, whenever it was on the Jewish calendar, I don't know how close it was to Passover, but his Jewish audience would have been intimately aware of the fact that sheep died for them. Not just to put food on the table, not just to put clothes on their backs, but on their behalf for their sins. Day in and day out, sheep went to slaughter on the altars of Israel to take the place of sinners. And now Jesus, the good shepherd, flips that on his head. The shepherd, a man who is worth his wages and more, will forfeit his own life for sheep who love to wander, as if, as if it's something inevitable. The good shepherd now has no interest in politics or popularity. He has no interest in habits and hobbies that are totally incompatible with your spiritual well-being. The good shepherd has no interest in taking any of his sheep to the slaughterhouse. 
The good shepherd simply lays down his life for the sheep. Not as a possibility. Not as a potentiality. But as something that he will do. Something that he has done. So that he could be their shepherd forever. And he didn't lay it down peacefully. He met force with force so that even as sin, death, and Satan take him to the ground, he strikes a killing blow to all three. The only predators that threaten your body and soul were defeated when the good shepherd died for you. And it's a love like this that has brought sheep from every flock, in every pasture, through every age, to follow the voice of the good shepherd who knew them first. And so here, not only does Jesus show us what the good shepherd will do, He shows us what kind of shepherd he is. He shows pastors and teachers what kind of shepherds they ought to be, and he shows every Christian how to recognize his voice in those shepherds. I know my own, he says, and my own know me. He gives up his life because the sheep are his own, and the sheep know his voice because the selflessness that Christ showed with his life and his death is unmistakable. Among the rest, his voice will sometimes lead you through what is unpleasant and maybe even dangerous, but it will never lead you astray. It may lead you to the death of the body, but it will not put a scratch on your soul. The other shepherds we've chosen for ourselves in this life may may urge us to wander wherever we want, or they may demand that we fall in line, that we stay within the flock and, and follow all the rules. But both of them, will make your place in the flock a matter of what you do. And when you fail them, and you will fail them, they have nothing more to offer you. They're done with you. The good shepherd gives you everything, giving you a place in the flock because of who he is, not because of who you are. And so when you fail him, and you will fail him, You can take comfort in the fact that his victory outweighs every failure that we suffer. That's why his voice stands out from the rest, both in Scripture and in his servants today. And that gives us more than enough reason to follow him. The number of shepherds we have to choose from today is absolutely staggering, and we we can be sure that some of them are going to make their way over to the flock and draw the attention of the sheep. And it's okay to go and hear their voice. It's okay to go stand by them. You can hear them. You can listen to them. But make the good shepherd the one that you follow. And when he walks away from those shepherds, you leave them behind. Because when it comes time to stand up to the wolves, he will do it. And when it came time to lay down his life for you, he did it, only to take it up again. Amen. Amen.